Good morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He is with us here this morning. And just to, to, to thank you all for the opportunity to come here and be able to share what the Lord's put on my heart. He loves you so much. And the first time Norm and I came here, we felt your love. Even though we were late and missed most of the service, we knew we <laughs> it was the people that we knew God was saying, come back. And the next Sunday we came and we both heard, this is your home, this is your family. And that's exactly what you are, is a family. And we just love you so much and thank you. Thank you. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Psalm 133. And if you all have different translations, all the better. So I'll wait till you're there. <laughs> Okay. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Stop right there. Look in your Bibles. What comes next? Exclamation point? How many of you see an exclamation point? And how many translations do we have here? Um, NIV? Living trans does yours have an exclamation point? What King James. King James, does yours have an exclamation point? How about who else has one? New King James. New King James. Exclamation point. ESV. Exclamation point. So anybody not have an exclamation point? No. Therefore, we know this is a vitally important, important word. Unity. When brethren dwell together in unity, it's extremely important and we need to pay attention. Let's go on. It says, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. From there, that place of unity, that's where God himself commands his blessing. We need to know that and really hear that in our hearts, in our spirits. Another scripture, Matthew 18, 19 through 20 says, Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on anything and asking anything, I'm sorry. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Ephesians 4, 13 says, I, therefore a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. So the question is, how do we relate this to us here in this season of transition that we're about to come out of and into a new thing? I have an example to share with you. Norm and I have been going through transition at work. 
I started with the King's University actually before 2000. We became a, became a student in 2000 um, the masters, with my master's and then was an admissions counselor. So that was, this is 14 years, a long season through many different transitions. It was earlier this year that we learned that this school that from actually its inception I've been a part of and that's how I met Norm. I was his admissions counselor. <laughs> Told him to go back up to Alaska and take online classes, but that's another story. <laughs> but at any rate, I've been part of this from its inception. Earned one, master's done another. I mean, I've really been grounded. Um, and then uh, 2010, the, head of the, the then head of the school asked me to, to take over as director of academic advisement, which puts me in a role of speaking to all the students in the school, both locally and internationally across the country. So I have influence. The beginning of this year, we learned that the main campus functions were going to go to Texas. So we've been in a point, a point of transition that's about ready to take place. January 1, it's gone. And so are our jobs. So we're in transition also. But we know that God has a plan and a purpose. And we've held on to him. Now one of the responsibilities and a pivotal position God put me in is how to help the students transition through all of this. And many of them are struggling. They're struggling. Well, what's coming next? Well, what do we don't, and, and this campus is shrinking, and what are we going to do? So I have an opportunity, and I have a privilege, and I also have a keen responsibility. Now, as you all know, transition can get messy. In fact, I don't know any transition that isn't messy. It's just the nature of it. People don't want it to be that way. It just is. So what do we do? People are affected. They're insecure. They have fear. They don't know what the unknown holds. There's a lot that goes in that. We understand that here. So my responsibility is first to pray. I've had students come and talk to me and say, I just, and I'm the main person that they really share their things that they're afraid to tell anybody else. So I hear a lot. And they've been saying things to me of all of their insecurities, their fears, etc. Not even knowing that I was not going to be working there anymore. So they didn't even know that. And, and I was going through my own issues. What did I do in that moment? I had responsibility. So what I did is just pray, Lord, I want to hear where you are. I want to hear your heart. I want to hear your vision. Lord Jesus, you help me. Give me what I need to hear and to respond what you say. And he's been stretching me. It's like I had toxic stuff all wound up inside of me, and he just stretched it out and let it fly off of me as I was put in this position to be able to talk to the students, helping them see where God is in the midst of it. I needed to hear and validate their feelings, their worth, where they are, God's call on them. I needed to remain loyal to the purpose and the plan that God has for them and the school, both. And then I need to be a peacemaker. Jesus is our shalom peace. I needed to be that peacemaker. So this is what I do all week. I'm in this situation doing this as I'm also sharing with them that 
this is my last time to talk to them. This is the season we're in, and in a few weeks we're going to be up here permanently all the time. Praise the Lord, and we're excited about it. <laughs> so we're excited about that. Now, another thing I'm doing is training. There are some other teaching sites that are just starting, one in Inglewood, in and I've been and I was meeting with the person who doesn't know the academics, but she has the, the her pastor is Jack Caford's long time prayer partner. Um, Board of Trustees, etc. He just now decided, now's when he's going to start a teaching site. So it, interesting timing. So all of this, I'm trying to teach her everything I know so that she can take that and do that in their site. As we were meeting, we were sharing the same heart. And as we were praying, we never met each other before, except one brief encounter passing. We really had the same heart. We were united. Here again is that unity. We were united together, and as we were united together, the Holy Spirit fell powerfully, gave us fresh vision for their sight, fresh vision for the school, fresh vision for us individually, and shared that with each other. It was a glorious time. So I don't know how God's going to work out the details, but I know he will. Well, just as the King's University has been going through and is in the midst of a transition, yet it was built upon... Or, or this, um, I'm sorry, this new teaching site is new. It's been built upon established foundation where God has laid the, the groundwork. So is Big Bear Christian Center. It's been laid upon a firm, established foundation where Jesus is Lord where good teaching has really helped us walk together in unity. God has gone before us to establish that. So as we go through this, this time of transition and enter into the new thing, we can know that God has a new thing he's going to bring about by his Holy Spirit. But it rests upon the foundation that's been established for many years. Our point is, we can know and we can walk in the will of God where his presence joins us together in unity, just like Psalm 133 was talking about, where God himself commands the blessing. We can know and we can walk in the will of God in unity with one another, joined in a new vision and a new purpose as we apply his word and these princ biblical principles to our lives. First Seth Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean that we thank God for all the bad things that happen in our lives? Oh, thank you for this bad thing. <sighs> no. Does it mean, oh, thank you for this hard thing. I know I needed it. And then we just whip ourselves and give flagellation. I, I used to do that. I, I was one who understood that one well. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, give thanks to God in all things, all circumstances. The to God. So who is this God we're giving thanks to? We're giving Thanks to a God who's sovereign, 
who knows everything, all the ins and outs, the beginning from the end. He knows it all. And he's got it covered. He also is not shaken. He's also a God who's good. He saw us, his people, who were trying so hard to walk after him, to do things right, and we blew it over and over and over again. We couldn't do it. So he sent his own son to die for us, a brutal death to take upon him, himself for us, to release his forgiveness, his newness, his new life for us. That's how much he loves us. He's compassionate. We saw Jesus, how he was walking among the crowds, and he saw people in need. And probably among those crowds, when he fed them, he probably heard children, Mommy, I want to go. He heard the mumbling. He heard the grumbling. He saw them in their need. How did he respond? With compassion. He fed them. He saw the sick, and he healed them. He saw the one who was poor and had been oppressed. And he's a justice-making God for the oppressed. That weighs heavily on his heart. That's who he is. This is his character. And most of all, he's the giver of life. Life. That's what he's releasing to us. There was a time many decades ago when I was on, facing a divorce. And I was in New Hampshire. My children were not at home at the time, and I was just overcome with depression. And I was like, Lord, I just can't handle this. And he said, thank me. Thank you. And then he said, look around you. And I saw I was sitting on a couch. Thank you, I have a couch to sit on. Looking outside, and it was snowing. Thank you, Lord, that I have a roof over my head, and there's snow outside. Thank you for the beauty of the snow. I saw a cup of tea on my table and said, it's hot. Thank you, Lord, that you provided warm tea for me. Thank you, Lord. And I kept thanking him, just thanking him. I thanked him until his presence came and changed my perspective. I saw him for who he is, his goodness, his faithfulness in my circumstances. And it's his presence that will change what our perception is to see where he is in the midst of it. He doesn't cause the bad things. But when we thank him, we're offering trust for his character and his presence that can do that new thing, that good thing, to meet us right where we are. So... How do we apply this to our situation right here at, at Big Bear Christian Center? Many of us have many of those emotions. We have those insecurities. I like to know what's going on. I want to know. I'm a kind of person who needs order, and I'm one of those who needs order, who needs to see the blueprint. I'm okay as long as I know that this is coming next. I don't like surprises. Oh, so, so what do we do? We have those and we have those who are changed. I don't know. My past has told me it's not been good. I don't know about this. Um, we have those who are in need of some hope. They feel like they've lost a lot. And they may have. Many of you have lost. We've lost jobs. Or about to. We have those in our midst who need healing healing in our bodies, healing in our emotions, 
healing in our relationships and our finances. We have those who are among us who need provision. We're looking to God for provision. We're at a crossroads as individuals and as a church. We're right on the precipice of a new thing. This time of transition is about to come to a close, and we're about ready to enter into that new thing that the Lord's promised us. We are right there. We're at a crossroads, and we have a choice. We have a choice. In 2006, I had already earned my master's. I was in admissions at the time. I, um, to back up just a little bit, I, I had uh, been hit with MS a few years before that and was taking shots that had altered some things in my brain that caused me to be extremely sensitive to chemicals. So backing up, extreme chemical sensitivity. The school had decided to paint the entire building. There are no windows. And they allowed me, they were gracious, they allowed me to work from home until the painting was ended, until they thought it was safe for me to return. Every day I would come to work, and as I got on the campus before I entered into the building, God removed my peace, and he, and he said, don't go in. So I called my boss and said, can you meet me out here? I said, I just have no peace. I'm not supposed to go in. They respected that. They allowed me not to go in because they trusted. They didn't, they've seen what happens to me or what happened to me when, when I had chemical reactions. So they were trusting me. Well, this went on for a week, and on Friday, I was in a big rush, and I knew I was late, and I just I didn't stop and ask the Lord. I just went in. Half hour later, my brain had been so damaged that all I could do was have tremors that went nonstop, started to where I couldn't speak, I couldn't think, I couldn't move, I fell, fall to the ground, and this went on for a long time. I was so sensitive at that point from so much damage to my brain that I was literally confined to my home. And there were times when the gardeners were outside, and even though I had double pane windows, there was just a tiny bit of the chemical that came into the window that would set everything off horribly. I wore a mask, even in my home, and I had to go hide in a closet under blankets to survive. I couldn't go out of the house. I couldn't even walk around in my own apartment at the time. And then I went into real deep depression, despair, because of the isolation and feeling hopeless. And I was just prime target to hear the accuser's voice. And he will take advantage of that when the, when the, the uh, bless you, when the um, situations lend themselves. And then a friend called me from New Hampshire, and she told me, do you know that you're valuable to God? Do you know he's not through with you? She gave me words of life. And when I heard those, I wept. And the Lord started to speak to my heart. And he said, right now you're at a crossroads in your life. You can go two ways. And whenever you are at crossroads, you have two ways you can go. There is one is the road of blame. That's the accuser, the accuser's low road. That's blaming myself because I should have heard you. I'm bad. Blaming others. 
They put me in this situation, blaming the devil. Oh, he's just so bad. I'm just, I'm going to curse you, devil. We're blaming God. God, you knew this. Why didn't you stop it? You know, those are all places we go. And, and we, we have the tempter that's always, and the accuser that always wants to take us there. And that road, the road of blame, has one destination. It's the low road and its end is death. God says, you can take that one or you can take my road. Believe me. Believe who I am. Believe that I'm good. Believe that I have hope. I have a future. I have a plan. I'm able. You may not be able to, but I am and I can. Can you believe me? Can you believe that I haven't changed? That I'm good? Can you come to me? Can you trust me for that new thing? That road is the high road to life. Jesus promises life, abundant life for each and every one of us who know him. That's his promise. And that's what he has for us. So I needed to repent. I needed to repent for going down that road of blame. When we repent, we have a faithful, loving Father who forgives us because of his son's sacrifice for us. We have the Holy Spirit who comes and comforts us and heals us, restores us. And that's where maybe, I don't know, but maybe some of us have heard that accuser's voice wanting us to go down that road of blame. We don't like these things. I don't like, I don't like what I see. It's only going to go to death. Where he said, we're at a crossroads. Do you want life? Do you want life abundant? I have a path for you. Believe me. Ed and Una have such a heart for this church. We heard Ed come up here and share his heart the Sunday that it was announced that they would be leaving. And everything I have heard from both of them has been one of loving God, loving this congregation that's family, loving God's purpose, believing him, trusting him. And what I have heard from them and I, I don't know if I'm the only one. I think all of you have had opportunities at times to hear that they're more concerned about go on with the, the new thing that God has and trust that God has a new thing for us too. If you, if you have time to spend with them, you'll hear that from them. That's their heart. That's their heart. So we have a choice. We can enter into Jesus' presence And into that new vision where his hope is and not hold back the good thing that he has for them because he has something wonderful in store for them. He has something glorious for them. We are at a choice. We can either hold on to these things or we can release and say God's blessing go upon them. Be united together and bless them where they can enter into that blessing. 
united with them in it. We also can learn from Pastor Jeff, his obedience to God. All these years, he served faithfully. He served this congregation. He labored for it, but he heard the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and said, bring Pastor Rob in. I have something new I want to do, and I want to do it through him. That was an obedient act of sacrifice. He had to be convinced of that to do that. No one in his humanity, human flesh, can do that unless the Spirit of God is upon him. But he saw the new thing, and he was obedient to the Lord. He wanted the new thing of God so badly that he was willing to say, Lord, if that's what your choice is, so be it. Let's do it. That's an act of obedience, of sacrifice. So are we going, we have a choice. Are we going to hold back blessing upon him, upon them, upon Pastor Jeff and Peggy for all that God wants to do now to reward them for their obedience and for their sacrifice and their labor among us and usher in the new thing that God has. He has a wonderful thing for us. Are we going to hold it back or are we going to be united? There is no distance of geography or anything else that can separate us. God made us together as a family. We're united in a single, single purpose. We have his unity. We want what God wants. And we love one another. It's his love that has bound us together. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We have an opportunity to release now by embracing that unity, by embracing, by thanking him, thanking God that, yes, Lord, you have a purpose, you have a plan, you called us together. We're still going to be united with them, even if we don't see each other every day. We're still united. And God will command his blessing, and it will fall upon them, it will fall upon us, it will fall upon his body as we, we travel together. And we can trust that God is faithful. He watches over his word to perform it. So the question is, will we allow that among us? Each person here is so vitally important to the body. Each person here is valuable, is cherished, is precious, has so much worth. There is a future and a hope and a promise for each one of you, each one of us, individually and as a body together. He wants to reveal that in us. His work that he wants us to do right now is to believe in him. John 6.29 says, The work, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's our work believe in Jesus, to believe he's good, to believe he has a good plan, and to believe he has a good plan for us. The other scripture, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Once again, is that for all, oh, he works in this bad thing for good? No, it means that in, in this situation, when we invite his presence, he turns it around and changes it for good. 
it was um, 2001 that I heard on a Christmas Eve service, you will be able to do everything I've called you to do, but only what I've called you to do, only what I've called you to do, and only what I give you the peace to do. 36 hours later, I was in the hospital, unable to move my arms, my legs, unable to speak, unable to form thoughts. MS had completely overtaken my body. But because I had heard that word from the Lord, I had his peace. And his peace carried me through it. As I lay on that couch, unable to move, unable to do anything, and I've always been a doer. <laughs> I just work hard and do. And all I could do was, I believe you, Lord. I believe you, Lord. And enter into his peace. Every time I would try to muster up whatever it would take to do, my body would do its things. I'd lose his peace. Finally, I learned, okay, don't fight it. He said, whatever I give you the peace to do. If I had his peace, I could do some things that I would not be able to do before. And if I didn't have his peace and I tried to, I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> so I learned just, just abide in his peace and walk in trust. And, and if someone who I trusted in at the time, Jack Capered, was my boss, and he, he can be a very... Um, um, a figure that one would automatically want to say, whatever you say. <laughs> but if he walked in and said, Susan, do this, and I had no peace, I had God's peace to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. God is saying no. <laughs> now, that's only because I'm really obedient and I believe in, in authority structures and I really believe in and that we are to obey. And if I were a rebellious person, he wouldn't have said that to me. But I'm, I'm not that kind of person it's i trust that god puts a chain of command in there that we're to respect and know that he works through them so i just want to use that as a little aside there um but in that that god used that time when i was so vulnerable to get at me areas of me i had such deep deep emotional wounds that the only way that i was able to give god access to them is when i was completely out of the way. <laughs> and that's what he used. Did he send the MS? No, I don't believe he sent it, but he used it. He used it. And he got, he gained access to deep areas within me that needed to learn how much his love really encompasses all the areas in us that we have no idea. It was that that he... <laughs> brought my husband, who wasn't my husband at the time, where other people were abandoning me, my husband came over every single day, brought me food, took me to the doctor, cared for me, laughed with me. We went to the grocery store, and he put me from the wheelchair into the, you know, one of those motorized ones, that, the basket. Well, this arm, I had a little bit of use sometimes, not all the time, this arm, and I could push buttons on that. And I was sitting in the thing, in the, in the little shopping thing, and we would laugh, and he would tickle me. And I would start to giggle and squeal in the, in the store. 
and people would be looking at the two of us coming in. Of course, the thing is going like this as I'm going, <laughs> laughing and giggling. <laughs> and there was one lady who had her shopping cart full of, full of cans, and she saw me coming and went, ah, and she started to take them back and put them back up on the shelf. <laughs> so God met us even with laughter. And when we were married at the end of that year, I still couldn't stand I could. I had improved quite a bit, but I still couldn't stand. So I sat, and he knelt next to me, as we we exchanged our vows in marriage. And it was just, God can do anything, and He healed so many things of abandonment and abuse, just by sending a most wonderful husband to me, who saw me. <laughs> he saw me. He saw past the broken body to the person and he loved me and accepted me and that love and that healing began a work of healing in me it started there and eventually my body started to respond as you can see I can jump I can do lots of things now <laughs> and I don't do the shots because God told me not to and I won't say to anybody else stop your medication don't do that but God told me that the medication is what was causing the brain damage. So for me, trusting him and saying, don't do it. I'm with you. And look what he's done. God can do it. God can do it. Now, there are many of you here who are experiencing some pain, experiencing some loss, experiencing some need for God to come in and intervene. He's sent us a wonderful teaching with Dr. Coulter about that two-dimensional forgiveness, that two-dimensional relationship. I believe that was critical to what he wants to do with us. He said, yes, you all have a good relationship with me, but I think you're going to discover as you walk out this two-dimensional forgiveness, this two-dimensional way of living, your relationship with me, you're going to discover some wonderful things about the people in your midst and about who you are, too. We know that where the will of God leads us, his grace also keeps us. So in that point of need, he invites us to honestly express, Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm doubting. Lord, I'm wherever you are. He already knows that. Let's be honest with him. Invite him in it. This is where he is. Many of us are going to need some miracles. Many, many decades ago, well, many, many, a few decades, well, yeah, that many. <laughs> I was in a very abusive marriage. And in that, I had, and I had four small children. I still was blind because I was born blind. I still was blind in my one eye. And my other eye had only had sight for a few years, and I, I was rapidly losing it. And because of the trauma and the abuse, uh, my back, I was walking with a cane. So I, I was desperate. I was a new believer. I didn't know what not to believe. I didn't know what you're supposed to. Can you really accept God's word? I just read God's word and believed him. And he taught me many things. And in that situation, I won't go with all the details, but in that situation, I literally 
needed miracles to stay alive and to keep my children alive. It was, it was an extreme situation. And God met me. I just simply believed him. Lord, your word says this is who you are. And either you are or you're not. And if you are, then I thank you that you'll meet this need. Thanking him again for who he is. There was one time when I was instructed to feed multitudes of people from my home but not given any food to do it and would be punished if I didn't do it. And all hours of the night, it was a very odd situation. At any rate, um, I didn't know what to do. And I said, Lord, this is all I have. I have half a zucchini. There are six people coming at my door. <laughs> I had a little pound of meat. I made something with it. And I just said, Lord, I thank you. You, you gave thanks over the food, and you, you multiplied the, for the crowds. So I'm just going to give you what I have and trust you with it. People came. I watched this little half a zucchini in this little, in this pan, serving dish that I kept, by the way, as a reminder. And I watched a big serving go on the first person's um, plate. And I thought, that's the whole thing. And then I watched another big serving. Then I watched another big serving. And another big serving. And another big serving. By the time it came back to me, there was more in there than had originally been in there. God met it. I gave him what I had. I yielded it to him. He multiplied it. Another time, there was a surgery that could be done for this eye, because this eye was pretty much gone. Doctors had told me that conventional surgeries would wind up having, in 10 years or so, I'd, I'd lose it just like I had this one. So there, were, there was one doctor, two doctors in the country. One was in L.A. In a non I, was, I had a, an HMO that had a hospital attached to it. He wasn't part of that hospital. He wasn't part of that group. The Lord said, I want you to have that surgery. Just trust me. Didn't have the money. It was very expensive. Had the surgery. Later, we went up to pay the bill. Um, I forgot how or where this... I forgot the sequence of when the bill... I just remember the event. And it was thousands of dollars. I took it up, and, and the lady looked at me. She said, this is not going to be in covered. Your insurance already denied it. They said, no, you can't do it. What, why, what are you coming up here and saying that it's full paid? And then I heard the Lord speak almost audibly. You tell them that you have it on higher authority that this is covered in full. So I said, okay, Lord. <laughs> and I said it. She looked very upset. Went back. Said, go, go talk to your supervisor, whoever that was. She came back really visibly shaking. She says, I've never seen this happen before. I don't know how this happened, but it's, it's paid in full. Go. <laughs> Another time, I had been with a Christian theater repertory company. I had all four children in the back seat. And to go from the one place that we had been ministering to another, I had to go through a little bad section to get to a, um, a freeway. And I didn't see, because I still didn't see there well. Um, I hit a center divider and blew my tire. 
at the time I had a Subaru that has the, the front tire in the front, and I went around front. I did, first of all, I just said, thank you, Lord, that you're with me. Thank you, Lord. I've never changed a tire in my life. Thank you, Lord, you'll help me. Thank you, Lord. I just thank you you're here and you help me. I got out of the car, lifted up the hood. This is four lanes here, center divider, and four lanes here. It's a big, big boulevard in Pasadena. And I saw this big white car pull on the other side of the road, and two ladies, they look like ladies, all dressed in white, got out, and they said, it's okay, dear, we have a ministry of helping ladies in distress on Saturday night. Get back in your car and lock the door. So I did. I got back in the car. I locked the door. And they proceeded to take out the, the tire, change the tire. And they said, God bless you, dear. And I looked, and they were gone, instantly gone. They were angels. They were angels. God sent angels to me. Now, the miracles continued like that through this really hard season where I needed them. But I didn't see them as miracles. I just saw them as, Lord, unless you come through, I'm a goner. Well, that season of needing the miracles ended, and so did the miracles. But God's provision didn't stop. He just chooses what's needed at the time. Whatever's needed. He gave me an opportunity to be able to work, to be able to do things. I didn't need those miracles. The miracle was as he did that. But at a time, whatever it is, whatever it takes, God's our supplier. There are people right here who need a fresh vision. They need a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit. You need to know that God's with you individually, in your circumstance. It looks bleak. We have a faithful God. He's true. He's not a God that lies. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants so desperately to meet each and every one of you right where you are in his unique way. He doesn't tend to do things twice the same way. It's new. It's creative. It's fresh. He's here for us as a body for a new thing. He's here. He's present. And he wants to meet you. He wants to meet us and bring us into that new vision, new day that he has purposed and planned for us. So how can we get there? First, we're going to thank Jesus in all circumstances for who he is and trust him that he's able to bring it about for good. We're going to believe him that he'll bring good out of every difficult situation we're in. When he's in it, he'll bring good out of it. We can trust him that he wants us to know him intimately, individually, and as a body that's united together in him. Where he is, and we are together, united, he himself will command Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you know intimately every single person here today. You know our situations. You know them individually. You 
We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're present. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're here right now to even release faith to believe and hope that will turn our lives back to you. For you will meet us with your, your presence and your love. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's never known you, who's never had an opportunity to see who you are, that you would move within them to see that, yes, there is a God that's bigger than I am. And yes, I am that sinner that can't make it apart from you, Jesus. And I thank you that you're inviting me. And yes, I'm going to say, yes, I want to know you. So I confess that I'm a sinner who's in need of you. And I ask you for forgiveness. I ask you for new life. I ask you to come into my life right now. And if there's anyone like that, with everybody's eyes closed, would you raise your hand that we can just agree in prayer with you? those who are here, those of us who have walked with the Lord, who know him, Lord Jesus, we come before you as one body, thanking you for your love and faithfulness. Thank you that you hear our cries. Thank you that you counted us worthy, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you will take the word that you've given us and cause it to birth new life, new vision, new hope, that you will do that creative work within us that will knit us together as one body as we move into the new thing that you've planned for us. And we thank you. We give you praise.